doing things that are outside of your comfort zone. If you don't feel comfortable that you know how to do something, learn it, go full bore at it, but just do it. Just take the leap. The oil and gas industry, the driving engine of the world economy, delivering prosperity, innovation and abundance across the globe. Here are the stories of its key players, directly from the leaders themselves. This is Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders Podcast, where real experiences are passed on from the leaders of today to the leaders of tomorrow. Here is your host, Paige Wilson. Welcome to episode number two. My guest today is Patrick Pister. Not only is Patrick the director of Lean Oilfield, but the co-host and producer of the Oil & Gas Global Network. How are you doing this afternoon, Patrick? Very well, Paige. Thanks for having me today. So before we go deeper into your roles at Lean Oilfield and the Oil & Gas Global Network, could you explain to our audience how you got started in this industry? It's a bit of a long, convoluted story. Uh, I've got all day. <laughs> Um, well, I graduated from A&M with a, a degree in marine transportation, mm-hmm. and that degree program is very laser beam focused on what you're going to do. You're going to work on a, some kind of vessel, whether it's a, a ship, a rig, a container, a cruise ship, um, the poor souls that get trapped on the casino barges in Louisiana. <laughs> um, they, they have license mates on board. Um, so I started out, like I said, it was very laser beam focused, but that industry is dominated by marine unions. So if you're going to okay. get a job sailing blue water, you're going to go work for the unions. I did that for a little bit, um, but didn't really get a long-term job. I, I Sorry, that's not true. I ended up going out for a 90-day hitch. So it was three, uh, three months on, three months off. Oh, goodness. And it's a long time to be gone. It's also a long time to be at home. Yeah, that's true. When you've got friends and family that work nine to five jobs, what are you going to do all day? You're going to Head up to the bar at noon when it opens up and close it down, and uh, that becomes a, a lifestyle until you have to go back to the back to the ship. So the the schedule wasn't ideal, and I had heard about oil and gas. And the schedule was four weeks on, four weeks off, or three weeks in the Gulf of Mexico. But at that time, A and M really didn't talk up the offshore drilling market. You either you went blue water or you weren't a real sailor. So what year was this? Two thousand five. Okay. It was 2005, and that like now they've changed. They they've got a full DP program. They really like sending people into oil and gas now because of the the money, the time off. It's, oh yeah, it's a great schedule. It's it's good companies. It's you know whatever your opinions the unions are. It's non union work, so you can go, come and go as you please. So I transitioned over to deep water oil and gas, and we started. I started in on the GSF Explorer in the Black Sea. Wow. In Turkey. Yeah. So it was, I mean, pretty, you know, I, I went in for a five-day orientation. That was pretty much flying over to Istanbul and then to Trabzon and then out to the rig. You do your month on, month on, month off. And I'd never been working on a ship in the cold weather. I live in Houston. I worked in... <laughs> yeah, uh, right. It's so hot, I would I would have three pairs of, of socks so I could change them out because my boots would just pool with sweat working in the Gulf of Mexico on a tanker. It's humid and... Yeah. It's different than a rig. If you work on rigs, I know that it's hard work because I've done it too, but a oil tanker cruising through the Gulf of Mexico in August, it's like an mm. oven. It's all steel deck. There's no shade. It's it's rough out there. So, like I said, I transitioned away from tankers onto drill ships. I was on the GSF Explorer in Turkey. Brought that back to the Gulf of Mexico. Mm-hmm. Spent about a year in the Gulf of Mexico and then took it over to Angola. Spent most of my time in Angola. So I was working offshore for 
about four years combined with the uh, with tankers and drill ships, and kind of had my fill of Africa. I was just yeah. it was month on month off, but you lost two days of travel. It really wasn't a full month, so it was. Right. You get overseas pay, you get a little bit extra extra did money you have, in your pocket. Did you always have Februarys off? <laughs> <laughs> so everybody says, well, at least you know you, every other every other Christmas you get off, every Thanksgiving you get off. Well, that is, there's somebody out there that gets every holiday off because I've never heard of anybody that actually gets every other holiday off. It's always you're always working on more than you have off. Right, yeah. Uh, anyway, like I said, there's one guy out there who's getting all the holidays off and nobody's ever met him. <laughs> <laughs> so that was it was a great great experience. I got to learn the rigs and we're you know, actually, you know, get your hands dirty with the equipment. I had a great crew, you know, the guys from the GSF Explorer back then were, were awesome. But I decided to go back to school. I went to U of H, um, was going there full time to get my MBA. Awesome. Here in Houston. Absolutely. A great energy program. They really focus on the oil and gas industry that you can you can narrow you can niche down if you want to study mm-hmm. finance. You can study finance, or you can study oil and gas finance, which is, for some reason, completely different. It's that's it's, that's quite odd. Yeah. yeah. But my second year, I ended up getting hired on with Pride International, and they had a management training program. And what did and what did they? Pride International was acquired by Ensco in 2011. I want okay. to say. Okay. So I was with Pride, and their management training program, which. Some people call it the fast track program. It's a operations specific training program where you hit a lot of the different positions pretty quickly. You go out for a couple hitches and learn roused about Derrickman driller. You kind of work your way up. Cram session. Yeah. So when you become a management, when you get a management role, you've done the jobs. Now I had the added benefit. I had worked offshore for four years. I knew the operations. I knew the Marine crew, but, um, I didn't touch as much of the drilling as I would have if I was on the drill crew. Now, our ship, we we were in charge of the Bayright and the cement and shipping all that. So we were very in tune with what the drilling crew was doing. Mm-hmm. And every rig runs it differently. But I got to, I got to experience a lot with the subsea engineers and the drillers because they were, they were great guys. And they, they wanted to teach you. So I went into that management training program. I was homeroomed in Houston. had a great boss, Sean Vigian. He's over at TransOcean now. And at the ENSCO merger, things were just kind of up in the air. It right. was It was... I guess Pride didn't really track their management training progress, and Ensco wanted more ownership of the process. Mm-hmm. So I went into an interview with a, a drilling expert and an HR guy, and I had all my notes. I was ready to answer all these drilling questions. I thought he was going to hammer me on well control and this and that, and I got through all his questions pretty easily. And it was the HR guy that was just like, "Well, we'll probably have to send you out for a you know hitches or roust about." I spent four years working offshore. I know that process. And I got frustrated. I said, if you want to bring in a piece of rope, I'll tie some knots and we'll sign off for us about and I'll move my way up. So my goodness. So I was looking I was looking for something else. Right. Yeah. Um after that. Ensco's a great company. I just the transition wasn't the the best for the people on the pride side. So like I said, I was I was looking for other things and uh Atwood Oceanics, which I wanna say is right now the largest independent driller, maybe not, I don't know, I fleet, but I think they were at the time. So I went to work with them. And originally it was supposed to be for... Um, and what year was this? That was at the end of 2011, 2012, right there. Because I spent... So I spent the next year in Australia. Again, it was supposed to be a job in the Gulf of Mexico. That's what I hired on for. And they said, hey, can you go over to Australia for a month and help us out because we're promoting a guy when he just needed you to fill in. A month turned into three months. Three months turned into, hey, you want to make this permanent? So it ended up being a... I ended up staying there for a year. And I could have stayed longer, but the... Pride Ensco merger. Everybody that was on the Pride side seemed to go over to Sea Drill. They just kind of all ended up there. I got a LinkedIn message while I was in Australia saying they had a uh, sales and marketing role here in Houston. 
my wife liked the idea of getting back and seeing her family. We wanted to start having kids, and she didn't want to do it away from family, and I really didn't either. So just past the year mark, I came back to Houston to get on with Cedrill, and that was as a marketing engineer, which nobody spent about a year with that marketing group, went over back into operations as a process improvement role, um, working for the directly for the VP of operations. He had some major process improvements he wanted to do, fixing uptime and safety. So a lot of what I was doing was uh, tracking and helping him kind of implement and that was on the HS and E side? That was the operations side. Okay. the oper- Well, where I come from, that that falls under operations. Okay. Actually. They were split. Operation, the, the, it was, I was working for the VP of operations and it kind of every, everything fell under him. So HSE did fall under it, but I wasn't directly in that, that role at that time. Okay. Um, I had gotten the project to where it kind of ran itself. And my boss even asked me, he said, do you, if I if I move you somewhere else, would you backfill? And I said no. You can get a, you can get an admin or somebody. All they did was running reports and dropping it in the Excel file, which I didn't want to use Excel, but I was using it. <laughs> Sacrifice. Yeah. Uh, made my way over to HSE. Um, spent some time there. Got a lot of experience doing more incident investigations and kind of deep diving into root cause. And it, again, that was. I like doing that kind of stuff because it's process improvement. If you don't know what the root cause of a problem is, you can't make a process improvement. So right. uh, the thing I didn't like about it was it was all incident investigation versus being proactive. But you do what you have to do. That was as we were right in the middle of the downturn, kind of at the low point. So you're, everybody's doing more with less. You're trying to do everything the day-to-day operations and HSC needs to do, but you're trying to make improvements. Right. So you weren't necessarily part of that prevention portion. we tried to you know in every investigation you try and make improvements that are going to spread throughout the organization and make sure that doesn't happen again not being able to do the kind of process improvement the proactive things i wanted i was you know kind of just you know beating my head up against the wall just not really satisfied i think that's about the time that mark and i touched base or you know connected okay and he was mentoring me through the process of starting my own business um, while we were also talking about doing the oil and gas HSE podcast. Okay, so this is about 2015, 2000, almost 16? Almost 16, I think. Yeah. No, it was in 16, um, um, summer of 16, I guess. So got my package from Cedril. They had another round of downsizing, and they're they're going through their own trials and tribulations right now. Hopefully they come come through it. But I had kind of prepared to get my, pa- get, get my package. I knew I was one of the more expensive guys in the HSE group, and – I really just took it as, all right, I'll use this as seed money to kind of start my own thing. So I used it as seed money to start my own thing. Again, Mark was kind of mentoring me through the, you know, the landmines to avoid with just the the business processes. Because when you start out on your own, when you come from the corporate world and your day's planned out, you know the reports you need to file, the things you need to do, the tasks that you have at hand. That's one thing. Running your own business, there are a thousand different things. You've got business development you need to do. You need to put out your own marketing content, which is you this, wear many hats. You wear many, many hats. So that's been a, been a struggle, but it's been a good struggle. So I, I feel like, a, you know, it's like a crucible. You really find out what you're made of. So that's kind of how I, I you know, the, my background that got me to where I'm at today with Lean Oil Field, which is a oil and gas digital marketing firm. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. And then after that, we'll also discuss 
your role as co-host and producer. Absolutely. So Lean Oil Field is an oil and gas digital marketing firm, which there's not many of us there. <laughs> the, the goal is to really provide value to the market. So if you engage our services, we try and position you as we are. We know our, our customers are subject matter experts. They understand their tools, their equipment, the services that they provide. It's positioning them in the marketplace so everybody else knows it. And the digital marketing, the inbound marketing side of thing is really all about providing value out to the market whether that's interviews on a podcast telling your story and what you do writing useful articles that solve problems that your potential clients have making videos putting out white papers but doing so in a strategic manner so you're not just shotgun blasting you're putting things out that are going to be valuable that hit your target clients you know depending where they are in the sales cycle because you know I want to say it was three percent of any given market has money in hand they're ready to buy the other 97% is at some other stage in the buying cycle, not quite ready to make a purchase, whether that's with you or somebody else. So it's about engaging that 97% and nurturing them through their buying cycle, mm-hmm. even though you don't know who they are. You don't know who they are. You don't know where they are. You can do some market research and kind of identify who's the likely target for your products. If one of the majors is buying a bunch of wellheads, you know they're probably going to be starting a drilling program in the next year or two. You just have to kind of identify where that is. So you can do some research like that, but right. you still need to be nurturing the rest of the market. You do that with providing value. So when somebody's looking for a solution and they're going to look online first because that's the, the times we're in, you don't want your website to be a static billboard that talks all about you or if you're a manufacturer, just a product catalog because all they're going to do is come check out your specs and go away until they want to call a sales rep. And if your name's not the first one that comes to mind, they're going to call whoever they're they're used to dealing with. Yeah, okay. So who are, um, whomever they're already familiar with. Exactly. And we want that to be you. We want you to be providing value to the marketplace. And that's primarily through your website, but there's all kinds of tools and tactics you can use to be that expert, to be the go-to solution for your market. And it's not just – there's there's a lot of focus on millennials because the first thing they do is, hey, is hey, Google. Hey, 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 I'm just saying there's a lot of focus on, on their buying practices, and what they do is they research first. But I remember working offshore, and it was still something we did. Uh, the older guys, too, because you're, you're offshore, you either have the product catalog you're actually looking through or you go to the website and try and find out information. Well, that's just kind of – being accelerated. I think right now there's about 25% of B2B buyers are in the millennial category. And in the next three years, that's going to be 50%. Now, no one's really talking about the great crew change anymore because of the downturn. There have been so many layoffs, but the, it's in the process. A lot of these mid-level managers and older older managers are starting to retire. And they've been forced out with packages. They're ready to retire. So you've got a lot this this gap that's again not being talked about because we we don't need too many people now. Onshore is starting to ramp up, yeah. but the deep water market's not, and it'll be hurting for a little while longer. But you want to be known as the expert, the first one they find in LinkedIn, in Google. I won't even talk about the other social platforms because right. it's not really that you know you can have your Twitter account and have ten thousand followers, but I don't know if that's really moving the needle in oil and gas. And what I consider oil and gas is industrial B two B. It's not. B2C. It's not getting 200,000 visitors to your site. So what, what does that mean exactly for those that don't understand that term? Okay, so B2C is business to consumer. That's uh, Most of the businesses are out there sell directly to consumer. Coca-Cola sells directly to consumer. They, they also have vendors or uh, um, um, wholesalers that sell. But Walmart, all their stuff is going out to consumers. That's, that's B2C. Okay. Um, e-commerce sites. If you're going to go on Amazon, that's a B2C platform because you're the consumer. 
B2B is business-to-business sales. The problem with digital marketing is B2B has kind of been manipulated. It's more to, I would call it, you know, B to baby B, people selling to someone like me. My clients are selling to large organizations, and I call them industrial B2B. Okay. You're selling oil and gas equipment, expensive process improvement services to oil and gas, farm equipment, heavy machinery. The the sales cycle is much longer. There's no one's going to click a button on your website and and buy a BOP or an LMRP. They're just not going to do it. They're going to talk to their sales rep. They're going to broker some deals. But if you can warm that conversation up, whether that's if you still go to conferences and conferences has to have their place, but if you can drive them back to a call to action, if you have free reports and training videos and troubleshooting and how to better improve your customer's business and they're able to find it and they're able to find it because they're searching on Google. Because or it's easy. Because it's easy. Yeah, you're sending them newsletters, you're on a podcast, and you said something that sparked their interest. I need to find out more about that. And it's got to be compelling. It can't just be, hey, check out leanoilfield.com if you want to find out more. You have to have a actual call to action that's going to get your customers going to your website engaging with your content, whether that's in your newsletters, your website, or LinkedIn, getting to know your name and realizing that Paige or Patrick or whoever else, that's my go-to answer for XYZ problem. Right. And that's who I'm actually sending my lower-level guys who I want to learn the business, learn how to do these things, go to this site or watch this training video. Here's a free ebook or whatever the – I don't want to to use too many terms, your lead capture mechanism, whatever it is. You have to have an offer. You want to have an offer that they that they want. And they become leads for you because they're consuming your content. They actually find what you're talking about interesting, entertaining, or just educational. And there you can mix those three however way you want to provide content that speaks to your audience. Okay. That's a lot to take in. It is. I, 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 <laughs> My I mind's kinda, a little blown right I kind of geek out about it, but it's, it's something the oil and gas industry is not really doing well right now. I referenced billboards and product catalogs and that's kind of the realm that oil and gas because when you say that it makes me think of when i was younger my grandmother would be like here what do you want for christmas look through this catalog and circle you know that's that's that was a really long time ago i'm not going to say how long ago but it was a really (laughs) long time ago so yeah i totally understand what you're saying but something that's more compelling to you is if you're getting constant information if you're watching a cartoon that has that toy in it every single week and you're engaged in the storyline and then I don't need to see the catalog. I know exactly what I want. I just need to go go find it. Yeah. So that's kind of our clients are already subject matter experts. They're people that have worked in the industry and they probably have a lot of word of mouth. You know, they're known in the industry by the people that know them. It's like, oh, yeah, you call Jimbo. He's the one that's going to come out and he's going to he's going to solve your problem. He's going to fix that pump. Because he's already established relationships within the industry. Yeah. And what we're trying to do with digital is expand that reach to warm those relationships up. I don't know this person personally, but they're putting out content I need. It's not the most entertaining. I'm not watching it on a Saturday afternoon you know, with the kids, but it's solving a problem that I have. It's just like going to a conference and hearing a, a speaker talk directly to you about your problem. But I can get that 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I just go online, and it's up to the, it's up to the solution provider to be where their customers are wherever that is again there's different tactics for getting in front of them online but that's kind of what we help them out with that's really cool why don't you speak about your roles for uh, the oil and gas global network that's right so the the oil and gas global network is the kind of the parent that all the podcasts are under this one included Mm -hmm. 
I am I'm co-host and producer of the Oil & Gas HSE podcast, which it's, as the name sounds, it's very niche down. It's Oil & Gas HSE. We talk about process improvement, health and safety, environmental concerns. We kind of cover, it's a lot of operational issues, but operational performance issues always touch HSE. There's always somebody involved in the operation, and that's who we're trying to reach with the show. We're trying to improve the lives of of people in the oil and gas industry because there's just not a lot of, again, I would lump this into digital marketing as a podcast, that there's not a lot of content out there talking to industrial B2B companies, companies in oil and gas. And a lot of things we talk about, it's not just oil and gas specific. It's things to make oil and gas employees safe, but that's in any industrial application. So my role with the Oil and Gas HSE podcast is co-host. I um, sit next to Mark LaCour, and we interview people in the field, where the rubber meets the road, what are they what are they doing to solve problems, whether they're a solution provider or they're one of the majors. We've had Chevron on, NOV, uh, Pacific Drilling. A lot of these big guys in the oil field talk about what the problems and solutions they've come up to with the, for those problems as it relates to HSE. So we really, we're, we're there, you know, filling a void because there's not a lot of information out there. Apart from just being the co-host, I do the production of the show. So I go back in, I do all the editing, I have to listen to my own voice for an hour at a time doing these edits, um, and I try and make it flow better for our audience. Well, uh, which I must say, you've done an excellent job. Well, thank you very much. That's what I try. I don't want it to be a painful listening experience. Uh, I enjoy the content we talk about, but a lot of it's very technical. I've touched the equipment. I understand the concepts we're talking about, but I want our audience, whether they're new to the industry or they're a C-suite executive, I want everybody to be able to listen to the show and get something out of it. So the content has to be there. The subject that we're talking about has to be informative. But then if it's not listenable because the, the sound quality is not there, the editing's poor, you're going to lose, you're gonna lose an, your audience. And, not, and like I said, our goal is to improve the lives of people working in oil and gas. So if they're not listening, they're not getting the benefit that we're providing. So l- let me ask you, what is the biggest challenge for each of your roles? I'll break it up into roles because the biggest challenge with the podcast was getting over listening to my own voice and doing the editing. I can identify with that. <laughs> and once you get over the sound of your own voice, then you have to actually start listening to the stupid things you say on the air and like, ah, all right, well, I'm going to leave that in anyway. Um, as far as lean oil field goes, there's there's an education gap in the in the market right now. Like I said, a lot of oil and gas companies. I don't mean drilling contractors and operators. I mean, anybody that touches oil and gas is a, is a potential client for us. But there's not a lot of people doing what needs to be done. And then there's not a lot that really understand that the old way of doing things still work to an extent. But if you're not expanding into digital marketing, if you're only focused on print media or having your banner up at, at a golf tournament, you're not really focused on the things that are going to move the needle for you, that are going to bring people in anxious to consume what you're what you're providing so that's a huge challenge is educating the market that it's coming Mm -hmm. and if you're one of the first in your sector of the oil and gas industry you're going to be light years ahead because it is you have to these things compound over time digital marketing builds on itself and you build a reputation among your peers your competitors and in the search engines google and bing and everything else they're building a profile on your business and if you're not getting out ahead of that and steering the conversation, then somebody else is. I mean, I'm not going to mention names, but when I, when you Google oil and gas digital marketing expert, I'm one of the top up there. And there are some major 
you know, a couple thousand employee businesses nipping at my heels. Well, I've only been around for, you know, the company's been around for a year, a little over now, but I'm able to compete. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you very much. Um, But I'm able to compete with those big guys because of the, you know, kind of the, the lean tactics and strategies. You know, I'm a uh, lean, I'm a six single black belt and I, I enjoy doing things that are, you know, low input, high output. They're, they're going to move the needle with the least amount of effort. Um, and I think that's what oil and gas likes too. They like to get things done. Oh, absolutely. And, and nice play on words there. Oh, thank you. I try. <laughs> I'm quite the wordsmith. <laughs> Actually, you are. Um, you've helped me out a lot with, you know, getting launched and happy to help. Thank you so much. Um, so we're going to move on to our third segment. Five questions. So let's start off with the first one. What book influenced you the most? book that influenced me the most, I would have to say it was when I was working offshore, I was reading the four-hour work week, and that kind of inspired me to go back to school, get my MBA, and, and go shoreside. I kept wanting to do my own thing. I just didn't know what that was going to be. Um, so I stayed in the oil and gas industry, stayed working for the upstream drilling contractors, deep water guys. But that book, like I said, it was whenever I had time in the Boson Locker, I'd you know re- read a little, you know, a couple pages and get back to work. And it was it is probably the dirtiest book I own too because I was you know <laughs> covered in grease and everything else. Right. And I, was, and I was trying to <laughs> steal some time away to to read it, but that really kind of inspired me. And not in the you know, if your audience hasn't read it, it's really just about starting your own business and getting out there and doing things efficiently that are going to move the needle. And that, again, speaks to me, the whole process improvement, doing the, you know, the least amount of work to get the greatest returns on your investment. So that, that book, I haven't read in a long time, but it was kind of the, the uh, impetus of my going shore side. What is your most used business tool? Most used business tool? It's, that's a hard one because I use a lot of tools for different things. If I'm doing, you know, research for a, a business I'm working for, competitor research, there's there's like five different ones I cross-check against each other. There's SEMrush, SpyFu, SimilarWeb. I, and I'm just starting to get into using more marketing automation, so HubSpot. Um, there are a few others out there. What's the most important lesson you've learned? Doing things that are outside of your comfort zone. If somebody asks you to do something, do it. If you don't feel comfortable that you know how to do something, Learn it, learn as fast as you can, and just go full bore at it. But just do it. Just take the leap. Um, so what is your favorite podcast, obviously, besides this one? I would have to say the Oil & Gas HSE podcast. Um, it's got an excellent co-host and host. Um, that one's a hard one, too, because I I listen to a lot of marketing podcasts. But I have to – I can't – I subscribe to them all, too, but I, I have to pick and choose what I listen to because a lot, a lot of the content I'm trying to get out of them – Again, there's not a lot of B2B stuff, and I have to pick and choose the ones that are more focused on those kind of tactics that I use for myself and for my clients. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this one. This one's beyond my own show. This is my new favorite. Awesome. I'm going to have to check that out. So every week following the launch of the show, we'll have one lucky listener that will win a $200 steak dinner from the Capitol Grill. For your chance to win... Visit www.bulwark.com forward slash podcast and listen for your name each week. A link will be provided in the show notes for everyone to click on. Speaking of, I can't, I, I really can't go further without thanking Bulwark for making all of this possible. If you're not familiar with Bulwark, they are the leader, not to mention the largest manufacturer of flame-resistant clothing in the world. So be sure to check out the rest of their website after you're done signing up for that steak dinner. 
Patrick, thank you so much for coming on my show. Thanks for having me here. It was really great hearing all about your adventures and it's been a whirlwind it, it, it feels like it hasn't been that long but it's uh i feel like i've touched a lot of different aspects of oil and gas and it's it's definitely been a great learning experience to up, to, up until this point so if people want to reach out to you and or get to know more about lean oilfield where should they go they could go to uh it's leanoilfield.com and if you're interested in digital marketing and finding out more about that on the home page we have an application process so you can tell me more about your business and what you're struggling with and um, it also comes with a free um, digital marketing evaluation. So I look at your site, I run it through a few of my different tools, and also you know, give it my once over. Um, so anybody that signs up for that will get a free website evaluation for your business. And I'll put links in the show notes. And check out the blog. Like I said, I try and put out valuable content. There's a lot of process improvements, oil and gas stuff. Um, most of the content is about digital marketing and B2B tactics for that. But if you want to go to the site... Um, then it's forward slash blog, and you can check out what, uh, what I'm writing about. And that concludes this episode. So just remember, it's up to you to open the next door. Tune in next week for another intriguing episode of Bulwark's Oil and Gas Industry Leaders podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasindustryleaders.com.